It's been a lot of fun this week getting different messages and different texts around uh, 431 every day. Um, as we have set, we have invited people last week to set their alarm for 431 every day and to pray with us as a church. Now, some of you have two 4031s in your day. I do not. Um, and we said that last week. So sometimes I wake up to your messages, which is nice. Uh, and then sometimes, uh, and, and so I've learned to put, there's a little mute button on my phone at 431. Um, but in the afternoon, it's been great. I, one, of the, one of the first messages I got this week was somebody texted me on, the, on Monday about 433 and said, God must be thinking, wow, that was well organized um, on that one. So if you don't know what we're talking about, last week we started a series on prayer. And we looked at the passage out of Acts chapter 4 where the, the apostles, the disciples had just been through a rough time. They had been told that they could no longer speak in the name of Jesus and they came together and they prayed and they asked God to fill them with the Holy Spirit and to give them boldness to speak his name. And the place where they, had, where the place where they were praying was shaken. Um, and that's, that's what happens in, in verse 431 of Acts. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, of the, word, speak the word of God boldly. So what we did is we just invited everyone uh, to set an alarm for 431 every day. And pray with us, just a real simple, short prayer that God would fill the people of this church with his Holy Spirit and that we would speak the word of God boldly. So that's what we have been doing uh, this week, and we will continue to do that for who knows how long. We'll continue uh, to, to follow that and do that together. But what we looked at last week was, okay, wow, I mean, these people, when they pray, God answers. And, and we're asking the question, well, how... How can I pray in such a way that I see God answering, that I see God working uh, with me? So, so really the question that we want to ask is, okay, when we look at what's happening with the apostles and the disciples in Acts chapter 4, we need to ask the question, how do we get here? How do we get here to a place like this where we can, we can be praying in such a way where God answers in such a convincing and obvious way for us and that we see things going on? So what I want to do... Starting today, I want to go back to the first of the book. I want to look at Acts chapter 1, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what leads up to the, the disciples and the followers of Christ praying in such a way that God answers prayer in a very tangible way, and how we can learn to pray in that way as well. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Scripture at this point in time, which is fine, a lot of people are not uh, familiar with that, but the first part of the book of Acts is happening right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is resurrected um, after the crucifixion. He's died, he's buried, and he rises again, and he starts appearing to several people over a period of days. And right as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he appears to his disciples, and he's with them, and that's where we pick up the story in the first part of Acts. And so Acts chapter 4, I mean, sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, begins with this. While he was with them, Jesus is the he, while Jesus was with them, them being the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. Don't you just love that word, wait? Ha, no, none of us do. Okay, don't act, just wait for the Father's promise. But he said this, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they, came, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's stop there for just a little bit and let's make sure we have a picture of what's going on. The disciples are with the resurrected Jesus and Jesus is giving them some instructions. But before he gives them the instructions, he says, look, I need you to go back into Jerusalem. I need you to wait because the Holy Spirit is coming. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that you need to know, that Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit is coming. Now, for us, what does that mean? What's the Holy Spirit? Well, this is an awesome thing to understand, that right at this point in history, we see a wonderful transformation happening that we actually live in now. Because at this point in time, Jesus is physically present on the earth. He's there with the disciples, with the people. He's teaching. They can talk to him. But then he says, now I'm about to leave, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is a guide. It's a comforter that is with us. That's how we live now. So we live in this part of history past this first chapter of Acts where Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he has sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Spirit of God to continue to be with us. We say that it's with us in our hearts and in our lives. We, we know that if we follow Jesus Christ, that he sends his Spirit to fill us, to comfort us, to guide us, to be with us. That's how we experience God in today's world. Now, that gets some of us thinking, well, yeah, I just don't sense that all the time. I don't feel that all the time. I don't see that all the time. Well, that's why we want to learn how to pray like this. That's why we want to learn how to understand how we sense God's presence in a way that the disciples did. So God promises the Holy Spirit, but then Jesus gives the plan for action as well. He also says, okay, I'm about to leave. Now let me give you the plan for action. I need you to go back into Jerusalem. I need you to wait for the Spirit. And then when the Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now you'll hear pastors and preachers talk all the time that, that what this means is that they're really starting where they are, wherever their home is, which at the time was Jerusalem, and they're supposed to, first of all, be witnesses for what they had seen and the good news of Christ right there. And then from that, they take that out and they go beyond that to the surrounding areas and they go beyond that to the surrounding areas and they go beyond that. And if they keep this up, then eventually they're going to be witnesses for Christ all around the earth. And that same call that God gives to the disciples here, he gives to us as well. Because we'll learn here in just a little bit that when they were gathered together, we, we think of it just Jesus talking to the 11. No, but Jesus is talking to the group of people. It's a small group at the time, but just a small group of people who are professing that I believe in Jesus and I'm following him. And so he's talking to all of them, not just the 11 who are with him, all of them saying, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, this is important for us because we, we do this. We're supposed to be God's witnesses even today as followers of Christ. We're supposed to share with those around us. Now, I've said this before. For some of us, it's easier to get on a plane and fly halfway across the globe to talk to someone about our faith than it is to look at someone at work or at home or someone else and talk about, talk about our relationship with Christ with them. But what the Word tells us is that we're supposed to start where we are. <clears throat> that we live as a missionary where we are, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us, and we take it out from there. You know, our church does that. One of the most recent things 
that we did as a church is we, we took up an offering in the month of December for the Lottie Moon International Christmas Offering. That's money that our church collects, and that money goes directly to Baptist missionaries who are all over the globe. And we as a church set a goal of collecting $10,000 to send out. And we collected over $11,000 to be able to send out. So thank you for your generosity as a church. But on top of that, even as you give to the budget of the church, then we're doing ministry with you. We're doing ministry here in Weatherford. We're doing ministry in the state of Texas. We're doing ministry in the nation. We're trying to do ministry all around the world. So that's how this continues to work today. All of us get to participate in exactly what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. Now, at the level in which you participate is up to you. But God calls every one of us to be his witnesses. And hopefully, as we continue to grow as a church, God's going to raise up some of us and send us literally halfway across the world. Now, some of you are praying for your neighbor right now. Stop that. That's not what I'm talking about, for them to be sent halfway across the world. But that God would do something in your heart to say, I want to be your witness and I want to go and share this all around the globe. So you see what's happening here. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and then he gives the plan of action to the disciples. This is what's going to happen. And then we pick it up again in verse 9. It says, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who's been taken up into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. <laughs> so get the scene here, right? They're all, okay, Jesus, we got, we're going to go into Jerusalem, we're going to wait, and then Jesus, whoop, he's up, and now they're going, oh, I guess we have to do this now. Imagine that feeling of, okay, I've got all the instructions. And, and Jesus didn't leave him an instruction book, or he didn't say anything, he just gave him his word. He just said, this is what you need to do. This is what's going to happen now. Go. So look what happens after they've been standing there and they're thinking, okay, now, now what do I do next? Have you ever had that feeling in life? You're standing here and you're feeling like God wants you to do something, and I don't know the next step to take, or maybe I'm just confused about where I am in life. Now what do I do next? Well, let's look at what they did. Verse 12 says, then they returned to Jerusalem. From the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, let me just say something. If you have trouble believing that Jesus is the Son of God, can I just tell you something? If his brothers are in the room believing that he's the Son of God, then that should be a clue to you. Because you know what your brothers and sisters are like, right? I'm going, if Jesus' brothers are in the room praying, then that's got to be a pretty good clue. Because if you were to ask my brothers and sisters, and I hope you don't, about what you should do with Linda. It's one of those things you go, oh, okay. So this is one of those stories that you look at and go, wow, even his brothers believe. Now, mom, you can believe because your mom thinks you're good at everything, right? You can believe, oh, yeah, my son said he was the son of God. I believe he's the son of God. You know, that's one. But brothers, now, come on. That's a little bit harder one to get by on people. But this is the, this is the people that we see in the room. And so I want you to get this picture of what's going on. The disciples have been told, I've got to do something. 
Jesus has told us to do something. And their initial response, just like it was when the bad things were happening in chapter 4, was, I'm going to pray. So they all gather together and they pray. And so here's something I want you to understand about prayer today. Prayer is not the activity of waiting. Okay? Sometimes we see as, there's nothing else I can do, so I'm going to (laughs) pray. Sometimes that's how we approach prayer. Well, there's nothing else I can do. So I'll pray. And, and we kind of tend to approach it with this attitude like, hmm, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to pray. Well, here's the truth. Half of that statement is true. Whether you want to or not, you're going to wait. Whether the disciples wanted to or not, they're going to wait. Because God moves on God's timeline. God does not move on our timeline. And now we would love if God would learn to move on our timeline, wouldn't we? We would love if we could say, God, I am open from about 3 to about 3.30 this afternoon. If you could answer all those prayers and then I'd have time to get dinner ready and just settle down for that, that would be awesome. But God doesn't work that way. God works on his timeline. And so I want you to understand, though, prayer is not just this activity of going, I don't know what else to do, so I'll pray. Prayer is not an activity of waiting. Prayer is the action of believing. Okay? That's what we need to understand. Prayer is the action of believing. What do you mean? Well, here's what we can can understand from this passage. That when the disciples were with Jesus and Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. And Jesus told them to go and to wait till this happens. There was not a doubt in any of their minds that that was going to happen. No doubt. Okay, Jesus said this was going to happen. Now, how did they know that it was going to happen? Well, because they had been walking with him for so long that they knew that Jesus was going to do this. So let's understand this. Prayer is the action of believing. But here's what we need to understand and something that we're going to see as we go through this story. Underlying every prayer of a follower of Jesus Christ is a belief that God will answer that prayer. But not only that God will answer that prayer, but that God will answer that prayer in a way that is best for all. Okay, now that's the kicker. There's an underlying belief behind every prayer that God will answer the prayer, but that God will answer the prayer in a way that's best for the whole, not just for the limited view that you have. So you can imagine if 11 men are standing on the side of a hill getting instructions, Get that picture in your head? And they all go back to their hometown, and they're about to execute these instructions. How many sets of opinions about how to execute these instructions do you think existed in the mind of 11 men? I would say at least 700. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Because, okay, I've got clear instructions. You're going to send the Holy Spirit. We're going to be your witnesses. All right, we're going to go back, and now we're going to pray because we know this is going to happen. All right, guys, let's get together. This is how it's going to happen. No, 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 wait. No, Peter, no, I'm not doing it that way. We're going to do it this way. Well, John, you're an idiot. We don't want to do things your way, John. Didn't you hear what Jesus said when he did? So I guarantee there was some of that happening. You see, we tend to read Scripture and forget that these were people, and, and they struggle with the same things that you did. They want to do God's will, but then at times we see that they struggled in doing that. And so there had to be a time of coming together. And so what they needed to understand is that underlying every prayer, prayer, there's a belief that God is going to do that. But he's going to act in a way that's best for all. And so their understanding that what is next, I'm anticipating that God is going to act. He is 
going to do something. We know something is coming, but we have to come together. See, the disciples took Jesus at his word, but listen to this. We never see that they spend way too much time asking Jesus how. We get bogged down on how, don't we? Okay, I want you to go and I want you to do this. Well, how old guy? How am I supposed to do that? And we get stuck on how. Now, if you are familiar with maybe some of the disciples' story from earlier in Scripture, you understand that Jesus broke them of how. Because the disciples used to ask how. We see some wonderful pictures in Scripture where the disciples asked how. And they come together and Jesus goes, all right, we want to feed all these people. <laughs> how are we going to feed all these people? Well, i got some bread and some fish. Let's bring me those things and let me show you what I do. And then the disciples go, oh. But they didn't even get it the first time when he fed 5,000. Then there were 4,000 that were together. And they all come together. And once again, they look at Jesus and go, how? Bring me some bread and bring me some, oh, okay, you're going to do this again. Or, hey, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. Well, Jesus, how are you going to get there? I'm going to walk. That's how. You know, when we ask Jesus how, we ask God how so many times, it's because we can only see from a limited perspective, but God can see the whole. And we get stuck on how so often that we don't see prayer as an action of believing. We see prayer as an action of understanding. God, I need to understand you, which means I need you to tell me how this is all going to happen. And we don't pray in believing. We pray seeking understanding. And so we don't see action in our prayer. We just see confusion over and over again. God, how are you going to do that? God, how are you going to do that? God, how are you going to do that? Jesus, how do you heal a blind man? Well, sometimes I spit. Sometimes I touch. Sometimes I say it. Sometimes I, there is no how that you need to worry about with God. You just need to know that if he said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you just need to get on the act of believing it. So many times we miss out on the activity of God just by the limitedness of our own view of how things can happen. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And if he said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So prayer is the action of believing. They came together believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And this comes as a result in the life of the disciples of a relationship with him over years. So don't feel guilty and don't feel bad if you're at a point in your life where you're going, I just don't understand this. That's okay because these men didn't understand it for a while. We're picking up their, their story after they physically walked with Jesus for over three years, that they finally get to the point of going, don't ask him that. It's okay. He said he's going to do it. He's going to do it. But you may be at that point where you're just going, how? Here's what you need to hear. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Don't worry about how. It's going to move forward. How and when was never a priority even for Jesus. He simply trusted the Father's word. If you look at even the disciples kind of got caught in that in verse 6 of this first chapter, so when they'd come together, they asked, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? They didn't ask a how question. They asked a when question. It's a little bit different. And then Jesus even replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So what Jesus continues to try to relate to his disciples is how, when, why is not for us to decide. You put your trust in God, believing that he has a way of life for us to live that is better than anything that we can do. 
And when we follow his way, we experience him and we experience life in a way that goes beyond anything that we could ever imagine. That's what it boils down to. You miss out on that the more you ask how and the more you ask why. It's called faith for a reason. Because we put our faith in someone and we say, I trust that they know what they're doing. I'm going to follow them. And for those who think that's narrow-minded or far-fetched, we do it all the time. When I believe that somebody else can get me somewhere better than I can, I get in the car and I trust that they're going to get me there. I have put my faith that this person can drive normally and hand me to my destination. When I put my faith in someone who knows a better diagnosis with what's going on in my body than me, I go and I, take, I put things in my body that they tell me, take this little pill and do that. Oh, okay, I'll do That's faith. So if, if we can do that, then we can do this in other areas of our lives as well. So why do we get stuck on this sometimes? I, I, wanna, I told you along the way I'm going to talk about a few things with prayer that I understand happen to some of us because we tend to get stuck by maybe something that's been in our brain or maybe some fears or some misunderstandings about prayer. I want to talk about one this morning. There's an amazing thing about God's will that we need to understand. God's will cannot be thwarted. God's will is going to happen. And when we make decisions in our life that slow down God's will or that seem to go against God's will, we need to understand this, that God's will moves on without us. And I say this in a sense to say we need to quit carrying fear in our prayer that, well, what if I do something wrong? You ever had that thought? God, I really want to follow you, but the only reason I'm not following you or I'm not acting right now is because I'm scared I'm going to do something wrong. You really need to understand that God's will is not going to be thwarted by one of us making a mistake. Now, so what happens when we do that, okay? God has a plan. As a matter of fact, on Wednesday nights we're studying the book of Revelation. One of the things we saw in the book of Revelation chapter 5 this week is God seated on his throne and he's holding a scroll. And that scroll is rolled up and that scroll is sealed. And that scroll is filled out from beginning to end, side to side, front and back. And so if you follow the book and what this is saying, that scroll represents God's plans They're finished. They're done. He's already written them. They're sealed up. He's sitting there ready to execute them. God's will is going to happen. We as an individual are not going to make a decision in life that changes God's will, but we sometimes make decisions in life where we miss out on being a part of it, and that's a different thing. And so we need to understand that while if my heart's in the right place and I'm tuned into following God, I'm not going to make a decision that's going to change God's will, and God's not waiting up there to go, ooh, you got that wrong, you know, ooh, you got that wrong. He's wanting to bless us and lead us, and he wants us to be a part of this. The best illustration that I can tell you on this is the book of Exodus. (laughs) The book of Exodus is a story about God's will for his people. God's will for his people was to get to a place called the promised land, which he had willed many, many years before, okay? God's will was never thwarted. However, his will was delayed in the lives of people because of disobedience. So here's how God handled it. He said, I'll wait because my will is still going to happen. And as a matter of fact, he was so in a place with his own people that he said, I'm just going to wait for the next generation because I can't even deal with this generation anymore. So my will's still going to happen, 
But unfortunately, this generation is going to miss out on it because they didn't obey and they didn't follow. Now, that sounds harsh, but that's a reality of it. God's will never changed. His children are going to the promised land. It's just that those that got to participate on it were different. Wow, well, how can God do that? Well, you see, because we see our time as limited, don't we? Because we do. We have a birthday and there is an end day coming for us in this body, and we know that. But for God, he holds time in his hand. His will is not going to be thwarted. He'll wait. He'll see it happen. So I want to say that in two ways. One, you're invited to be a part of God's will. He invites you to participate in what he is doing. And when we choose to participate in what God is doing, then we experience life in a way that only can be in relationship with God. But on the other hand, I know that there are some of us, even as believers, that we have this fear of acting because I just don't want to do anything that that hurts God's will. You're not going to do that. Prayer is the activity of believing, and it leads us to act on what God is doing. It's not just sitting and waiting. It's action. It is the activity. Prayer is the activity. And so we need to understand that if God is calling us to do something New. Sometimes we look at the past and it keeps us from doing something in the future. Isn't that true? Sometimes we look back and go, oh, I've been there before, I don't want to do that. Let's, let's understand this. Had the Holy Spirit ever come before? No. So that was new. And had they ever been his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth? No. That was new. So what in the world back in their past could they possibly draw from to get them ready for something that was brand new in the future. Nothing. The only thing that they needed to look at was God. Now, let's have a little moment. Can we all learn from our past? Yes, okay. So I'm not saying we don't look and learn some things about what to do. I'm saying that a lot of times we don't do things that God might be calling us new in the future because we go, well, that's not how we did it back then. (laughs) Amen. You know, sometimes I have to stop and think, that I took a youth group one time from Texarkana to Six Flags with no cell phones and just me in a van that had an alternator that was going out and I had no headlights coming home at midnight while they were all asleep and going, what an idiot. I don't want to go back to the past. I like having a cell phone. I like knowing what an alternator is now that I didn't know when I was 20. Well, what does that do? I remember, turning on the, I remember turning on the wiper blades and just watching them go, the alternator's going out. I mean, it had no power in that van. Do you know what I chose to do? I said, it must be dangerous for me to be on the road, the well-lit interstate. I'll go the back roads. Now, that's dumb. I just want you to know that. When you have no lights and you're riding through East Texas back roads with 15 kids asleep in the van that you're hoping you can get home, that's dumb. I learned from my past, don't do that again, but God, can you please do something new because I don't want to do this again. See, we can learn from our past, but we need to learn to move forward. And so this is where the disciples had come in their life. And we need to see this. They had come to a place where they said, God said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. So I need to be about the business of believing. And so what we did to believe was they got together and they prayed. Prayer is the action. Prayer is not the, the second thing. So real quickly this morning, I want us to look at the, how we can then pray more effectively. How do we pray like the disciples? There's some things that happen in this passage that we can garner we can look at that I think are very, very important for us in learning how to pray effectively. The first one is this, be present. Be present. What does it say they did? It says they all got together. 
They went to the room. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, pastor, are you saying that I can't pray by myself? No, because we see scriptural examples where Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I've told you at this past, about this topic of prayer that I could talk for years on this and never even touch the same passage in Scripture. There's so much that we can learn about prayer. But we're looking specifically of how we can be more effective and get some results like the disciples got here. And the first thing that we see, we see it both in chapter 1 and we see it again in chapter 4. They're together. They were present. They were, they were there. So being present means that they were together. Okay, they were together. The disciples saw a value in coming together with the other disciples to pray. So this is very important, this idea that they were together. They were physically present together. There was nothing more important that the disciples could do at this point in time than be together with other disciples and pray. That was their priority. Nothing else got in the way. Nothing else became more important. Now, I'll say this. We have created a culture of Christianity, a culture, not a biblical value of Christianity, but a culture of Christianity that if myself or any other pastor in this nation, for, a, for the most part, were to stand in front of his church and say, guys, for the next four weeks, we are going to get together and there's not going to be any music. There's not gonna be, we're, just, we're just going to gather together and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord. Most people would go, I just got a four-week vacation from church. They'll start church again in another month. But this was not true for the disciples. This was church. We are coming together to be present together, physically present to pray. And so it was about them being together. So we need to look at that attitude. So I've told you that I, as I preach this message, I'm not, there's not an end goal in mind. I'm not going to get to the end of this message or the end of this sermon series and go, now I want everybody to do this one thing together. We invite you along the way, set your alarm at 431. We're going to talk about some other things along the way. But being present together, physically with other believers in prayer, there's just something special about it. And so if you don't have a, a place or a way to do that, we have Bible study that happens 945 on Sunday mornings. We'd love for you to join one of our groups. But here's what I want to do. If you don't have a group that you pray with, start one. You have my permission. Meet at Chick-fil-A. Man, ain't nothing like eating a Christian biscuit and praying all at the same time. It just, it just is good, okay? I, I don't care what you do. Do this at work. Do something else. You don't need the church, First Baptist Church leadership, to put on the calendar permission for you to gather some people together and pray. And so if in your normal routine God's laid it on your heart to do that, there's something that is great about being physically present and together and praying. <clears throat> second thing that we see in praying more effectively, be present. The second thing is be unified. Okay, be unified. There was a reason that they were praying together because they were clear on what their mission was, but they weren't necessarily clear on exactly how this was going to happen or supposed to happen. So they just kept praying and seeking the Lord. Now, let me talk to you about this idea of unified. Unity was the priority, meaning this not everyone got their way. When you look at the book of Acts and you just read the rest of it, you understand very clearly that not everybody got their way. Unity meant that we're going to put the, the priority on us being unified and together more than we're going to put the priority on me getting my personal preference. And think about this. Are you more likely 
to be unified in your prayer life as you pray every day on your own or as you come together with other believers hand in hand, heart in heart, and pray? (laughs) I think that's an obvious answer to that question. It's easy for me to get self-focused when I'm praying by myself. It's easier for me to be focused on unity as I gather together with other believers and hear, wow, they have things going on in life too. Wow, God's working in their life too. Wow, I can be a part of this as well. So they were unified, and that little point under unified, just to make sure you don't miss it, they were together. (laughs) They were together. And I told you all last week, that word together happens 12 times in the New Testament. It's 11 times in the book of Acts talking about the church and how they came together. Making it a big point of saying they were together. Luke, when he wrote the book, wanted to make sure that you got it, that the church was together. That it meant something to gather together, to see one another, to shake a hand, to touch someone, to be there, to pray with them. They were together. And they were unified. They put the priorities of what God had called them to do above their personal preference. And so they came together. Now, even though everybody did not get their way, that's okay when you're in an environment where everybody's loved and everybody's heard and everybody's important, okay? But you see in the book of Acts this pattern over and over and over again. God's told us to do something. We're going to come pray about it. Our leadership is going to make a a recommendation of how we move. We're all going to get on with it. That's what you see in the early church. They kept coming to the, okay, Peter said that. You see later on in the book where they didn't know how to handle something and the church even wrote a letter and sent it out to everybody and told people, go read this letter to everybody so they can know how to handle these things. You see this over and over and over again. Unity was the goal. So the other way that we can learn how to be effective in our prayer, we be present, we can be unified, and then this, be involved. Be involved. Think about this. It is possible to be present but not involved, correct? Amen. It is possible for you to be present right now but not involved. Amen. It is, because I'm telling you, Lindell, it is 2 after 12, and you are still preaching. And my stomach is growling, and I don't know what to do. I, okay, but so here's the deal. Being involved understands this, that here's how they were praying. They were present, physically present. They were unified, meaning that we're going to put the value of what God's called us to do over my personal preference. But then we're going to be involved, meaning this. They were praying not because it was someone else's job. They were praying about what their action was going to be. It was a collective effort. They weren't praying, God, would you do something while I sit over here and watch? They were praying, God, we want to be obedient to what you're doing. Help us know what to do. If you believe in the mission of this church or any church, there's one message for you this morning. Get involved. That's it. And let me just tell you this. When you begin to pray, when you're praying for our church, maybe at 431 every day, that alarm goes off. You think about our church. You're praying for our church. And I want you to hear me on this. If, If God stirs something in your heart about First Baptist Church or even about the kingdom of God and how you can do that, I just want to, I want to give you a little word of advice this morning. God will not give you an idea for someone else to execute. God does not give you an idea for someone else to execute. God lays on your heart something that he's probably calling you to do. So if every week you walk in this church and go, 
I wish there was a greeter at that door. If every week you walk in this church, and I wish there were more people to help with the children. Me too. If every week you, you have this thought, or if, you, if you're just thinking, God, I wish you'd preach better. No, can't do that one. Sorry. All right. But, then you, but you get what I'm saying. God's going to lay something on your heart because he's stirring something in you and giving you an opportunity to be involved. You want your prayers to be effective, then be involved. Be involved. Don't just stand at a distance. You know, I'm going to watch football today, and I'm going to coach better than either one of those coaches, right? And I'm going to look at that, but that's not involvement. You want to get involved, get involved, and God will do that. And here's the, here's the trick about being involved. They were together. <laughs> they were together. To be involved, you have to be together. You can't be involved from a distance. So I want to just close with this question for you this morning. It's a real simple question. What is my prayer action plan for the week? What is my prayer action plan? See, because sometimes we see prayer in one area and action in another area. But I want to put that together for you in a thought this morning. What's my prayer action plan? What am I trying to pray and do this week? What's God calling me to do? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?